My name is Jamie Atkinson, founder of podcastclosing.com, and this show is built for six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts who are looking to grow and scale their customer acquisition using that show. If you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast and you want to get featured on this show to talk about your own podcast journey, go to top100interview.com. Now over to your glamorous host, Brittany Chaterbock, and don't forget to subscribe for daily interview content. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's Basha here. Today we have a super exciting guest, Miriam Shulman. She helps artists make a sustainable living doing what they love. She's also the host of the Inspiration Place podcast. Welcome to the show, Miriam. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Likewise, and it's a pleasure to have you. We're going to have some great conversation and we'll cover what's working, what's not, your podcast, your challenges. So, but before we jump in, do you mind telling us a bit about your story and where you are today? Sure. So I am a full-time artist. I'm also an author. I have not always been an artist. I didn't believe I could make a living that way. I drank that Kool-Aid. So I took the practical route and I went to Wall Street. But after 9-11 happened, I decided I was not going to go back to that world and that I would do something different with my life. I know, Baja, that right now with, with the pandemic, a lot of people have had a similar moment where this collective crisis has lifted a veil over whatever's not working in their life. And that's why so millions of people walked away from their jobs and why economists are calling this the great resignation, because a lot of people realize they weren't also following their life passion. There's nothing like a crisis to lift a veil on what's not working on your life, whether it's something like 9-11, the pandemic, losing a loved one, getting a diagnosis or some, something else that's happened in your life. Absolutely. So you start, you, you want, you know, you went full-time to being an artist. You decided you're not going back to wall street, but then there was the 2008 recession. Well, I didn't decide immediately. I, I knew I wasn't going to go back, but I didn't believe I could make a living. So I started painting on the side. I took a job as a Pilates instructor and while working for the gym, they taught me how to sell personal training packages. And through that training, that's when I understood that selling was just a skill and that I could use these skills to sell anything, including art. Okay. And that's when I started focusing on my art full time. But yes, I was a full time artist in 20, in two, what do you say, 2008? Yes. For sure. So I want to know how you stayed afloat during the 2008 recession and what tips you'd give other artists now that we're, we're supposedly in a recession, shit's supposed to hit the fan soon. What should we be expecting? What are some tips and tricks to stay alive? Okay. I did not feel affected during the 2008 and a lot. And if you believe in what you're doing, you won't be affected now either. There are a lot of people that in early 2020 who felt, oh, I can't sell right now. It's a pandemic. And if you look for something, if you believe for something, you'll prove it to be true. Now, all the other artists who did not have that belief made a killing. Mm. We made a killing in 2020. Why? Everybody was home. They were looking at their walls. They were, they wanted to have that great background for their zoom calls. Oh my gosh. You're right. And people were spending less on travel and more on their homes. So the artists who continued to sell throughout the pandemic did very well. 
Now, a lot of times what happens with a recession is spending will decrease in the run-up towards the recession because of the anxiety people have. There's a recession coming. Mm-hmm. But it actually happens that when the recession actually finally gets here, the, re- the spending does tend to rebound. Now, one thing I hear specifically from my artists, I will give a visual art example because that's my world, but we can apply this to anything. So one of my artists said to me, well, you know, a lot of artists are saying that with the, what do you call it, a pending recession? Something like that. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. <laughs> Never hear. I was like, oh, okay, there's a little mindset drama going on here. With the pending recession, we should be focusing on smaller artwork. So let me show you why this isn't true. And then we'll we'll generalize it for whatever industry. Because I know there's lots of different listeners in your audience and they're not all yeah. visual artists. But let's just say that you have an empty apartment, an empty living room, nothing in your living room. What are you more likely to invest in? A $4,000 couch, and they can be much more. I'm just going by like what West Elm charges. A $4,000 couch or maybe a $400 end table. Which are you more likely to get? But I mean, the couch, because the table's kind of useless if you have nowhere to sit next to. 100%. See, it's not even a trick question. You're more likely to spend $4,000 on a couch then $400 on an end table. Now, if you were an artist or if you were buying art for your apartment uh, or home, whatever you, whatever you live in for that now, now all you have in your, in your living room is a couch. What are you more likely to buy a $2,000 painting to go over that couch or a $400 painting to stick in the corner where you don't even have an end table because you didn't buy one yet. The bigger painting. Right. Because it's going to make more of a difference in your life. So that's why it's false to focus on smaller, less expensive things just because of of the economy. People are actually going to prioritize some of these bigger investments in their life than they are over the smaller things, which the smaller things are actually the luxury purchases, these extras. So when you, when you try to change what it is that you're selling, because you believe cheaper is easier to sell, you'll actually sabotage yourself. I love that perspective. I've never thought about it that way. That's amazing. And I'm sure that applies for, you know, like coaching packages too, you know? Yes. People are, would rather invest 4,000, 5,000 to a coach who's going to help them increase their sales than a $50 digital planner. Oh, I'm experiencing it right now. So I have a coaching package um, that my main one, it's about $2,000. And we thought, hmm, let's splinter pieces of it and sell it. So let's splinter just the publicity portion of it and sell it. And so we're, we're running this promotion this week for four days. I think maybe I've sold three of those. And at the same time, this week, just for my evergreen funnel, I've sold multiple $2,000. You know, many people I haven't like my, my phone keeps ringing with the, the two that people are more likely to invest in the $2,000 coaching that does everything than they are in just the one specific strategy. So even though the investment is almost 10 times the amount, they rather focus on something that gives them more of what they want. And that's something I talk about in the book, artpreneur, I call it in the pricing chapter, I call it think like an abundant artist. And I give 14 lessons 
And one of the analogies I use throughout this, because I don't want to make it too specific to art or coaching or anything else. I talk about women's underwear. Why would somebody rather spend $10 for a Victoria's Secrets underwear or $30 for a Notori underwear or $200 if it's um, by Pia or some other high-end brand versus you can get a 10 pack at Walmart for $14.97. You know, you can buy underwear for a dollar and 50 cents. So if price was the only deciding factor, everybody would buy the cheapest underwear. Mm -hmm. But even Walmart shoppers who are price conscious shoppers, if you go onto the Walmart website, the default on their search engine is not cheapest. It's most popular. So even the Walmart shopper who is very price conscious, what drives them to purchase things isn't always price. And so we have to understand what are all the other factors that motivate people to buy? And a lot of it has to do with our emotions. You're so right. I love that. So I want to know, because I'm also, I, I want to talk about this more, but I'm also dying to ask you. So AI is obviously like taking over the world right now. And I'm sure that you have plenty to say about this. I have plenty to say about everything. <laughs> yes, I have plenty to say about it. Go ahead. What's the question? What is, I guess, what are your perspectives on AI in terms of the art industry and what does AI mean for artists? Okay. So I know that there's a lot of people freaking out that they're going to be replaced by these robots. Is that where you're going with this? Basically. And, yeah. Right. Okay. And I am not worried at all because good art has a point of view. Okay. It has a point of view. Good coaches have a point of view. Good writers have a point of view. Music that's good has a point of view. AI, it doesn't have a point of view. You can go to chat GPT and say, what's better, a, a hot dog or a hamburger? And it will say, as a language learning model, have you ever gotten that? As a link, you know, they don't have an opinion. It'll just, it'll describe a hot dog and it will describe a hamburger, but there's no point of view there. Hmm. And, and good art is always going to have a point of view. It has an opinion. It has the human touch. Well, it's always like, and we look at, we can take anything. So let's move away from visual art. Let's talk about music. It always pushes against what came before it. And the other thing that AI does, it's an amalgamation of like the, like, and it's not even recent. It's like the data is like already two years old. So how could it push up against what just happened? If we look at what good music does. So if you look at, um, what rock music did. If you look at Nirvana and cock rock, and then right after cock rock made it, you know, it, like cock rock was kind of pushing up against synthesized eighties music. It was like, let's be raw and energy. And after that, well, then we had Alanis Morissette moving in, like kind of like, let's push up against this masculine rock. Let's like have these more empowered women who came in. So everything is always pushing up and an argument of what ca just came before it. Again, no point of view. Yeah, you can listen to uh, AI music. It's it's crap. And some of the music doesn't even make sense. Like I, they play it uh, a lot on Spotify. And I think that's what they play in my gym. And sometimes you'll hear lyrics that like, oh, that, that must be like from the Prince song. Like it'll say, 
I love you because you wear a beret or something like that. It's like kind of like we'll take an amalgam of popular music and put it together in a very weird way. So I didn't know people were playing AI music in public spaces. <laughs> well, because um, Spotify uses it a lot because you don't have to pay royalty because it's not created by a human. Oh, OK. Well, that, that makes sense. That makes it's bogus, but it makes sense. Yeah. But it's not very good. It's like, oh, what am I listening to? I haven't and, really yeah. sat down and listened to it. I have to like, I, I've heard, you know, AI like copying different artists, you know, and coming up with its own lyrics and things. So that's, I mean, it sounds identical to the artists. I will say that. But otherwise, like AI generated music, I haven't listened to. So, I mean, it's not copying a different artist. Yeah. And then the other thing I would be very careful about, because I hear, um, some writers want to use it to write their book proposals or write their books. So I was using ChatGPT recently for research. And uh, so there's this artist who is a Latin American artist who left Germany to go to Venezuela. And I was asking, oh, when, when, did, um, when did she get divorced? And it wrote, oh, she never got divorced. It's like, actually, I think she did. And then I went onto Wikipedia I was like, well, she, you know, then ChatGPT's, no, she was never divorced because she was never married. I was like, well, actually, this is the fact. And then they tried to gaslight me. Oh, I'm sorry. No, this is what I meant. I was like, what are you, my mother? I was like, you know, Chuck, stop changing your story. AI is gaslighting people now. Yeah. Yeah. So oh you God. can't, you can't trust it. And then if it's generating any kind of copy for you, you don't know if it's plagiarized from sources. So you could be sticking things into your manuscript and calling it your own. It's not original content. So you don't know, you could be plagiarizing somebody and then that can't be copyrighted. Right. So, I mean, obviously I'm sure that things will improve with time, but in terms of art and AI, artists stand a chance. It's a great tool though. We use it a lot for ideation. I, I'm showing clients how they can use it to uh, really research their ideal clients and how to improve what it is they're already doing, but make it sound like them and put in their opinions. So it can be a wonderful tool, but in terms of a threat, I don't see it as a threat. Okay. I want to know, so you talk about leveraging your platform for more sales. What are some of your favorite strategies to leverage your platform? Yeah. One of the things that I do is it's more about leveraging my relationships. Okay. So I use my podcast to build those relationships and then the, those relationships is, is about everything. I mean, I been on podcast and somebody was asking me recently, how important are relationships? It's like, it's the most important thing. So, but what, but what do you mean by that? Utilizing your relationships. So. Okay. So for example, I mean, I invited people to my podcast because it was great content, but I also have a relationship with them. So for example, when I first launched my podcast, one of my guests was Todd Herman. And then when it came time for me to write my book, there's a couple of things that happened with, so I have a great list of guests besides Todd. Uh, Amy Porterfield, Susie Moore, like a lot of, of influencers. So when it came time to write my book, I could say to my agent, I am connected with all these people and they know, and then the publisher as well, and they know that my connections help sell books. 
And then when I went to get endorsements, it was very easy because I had all these relationships. I could just say, hey, Todd, would you like to endorse my book? So this, so building those relationships really helps your career in so many different ways. And that's just, that's just one way. Absolutely. So as an artist, let's say, let's say you're an artist and you don't have a whole lot of connections. How else can you utilize your, your platform to generate sales? Yeah. And I would say all artists should always be working on building relationships. So start with your local community. Um, one thing that I do on a regular basis, it's not just about building relationships with influencers for your podcast and to write books, but to be active with building those relationships with your collectors, because that is how you get more collectors. Absolutely. Tell me about one of, sorry, go go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. The question was though about the platform, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. So artists who they, they, you can use a podcast to build your platform. You can also use YouTube as a platform. That's another great way. I think that everyone though should really focus most of their attention on building their email list and using whether it's YouTube or a podcast as, as a way to attract new people and to move them towards adding them to your email list. That's awesome. That's a great tip. Tell me about one of your best favorite client wins. Okay. So, oh, there's so many, but I, I'll focus on Elizabeth Mordensky. So she is a wildlife artist and she was working 60 hours a week uh, as a uh, tour guide in Yellowstone. And she had these beautiful paintings of bears and wildlife. And so I talked to her about using publicity to really, really build her art career. So she did one spot inside an art collector magazine. That one spot led to $9,500 in art sales. And then, yeah. And then those collectors led to $29,000 in art sales. And I can share other stories like that is as well. And she has less than I forget what it was, but it's definitely less than 3000 followers on Instagram. It's not about building a huge Instagram platform. When you focus on email marketing and publicity, your art career can really soar. Actually, doesn't matter if it's art, any, any career can soar because building an audience is about three things, your universe. So that's your platform. Anyone you come in contact with other people's platforms. So just like how I'm on your podcast today. So that would be other people's platforms and paid platforms. That's paid publicity or paid advertising. So those are the three ways to build your audience. So publicity is a great shortcut for really building a huge audience fast. Absolutely. Thank you for those tips. I want to know. So when it comes to the business itself, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? Mm, good question. I think one of the, the biggest challenges, and this has always been true, this is not a new truth, is just things are just always changing. So always being able to pivot and to not get so always be tracking what's working because things that used to work even six months ago will stop. 
Like when I was going to promote my book, I thought that I could do Instagram lives. And because I have, I have 26,000 followers on Instagram, people are just not on the platform. It's not even a question of of the algorithms. It's not a question of them tuning into me. When I go to hit live out of the, the Instagram app will tell you how many people are on Instagram. Do you, do you want to guess how many people are on Instagram out of 26,000 at any given time? Just take a guess, take a guess. 200, 300. You would think, you would think the most that I had during any of the times that I was, I went live on Instagram. And I I think I did like 15 lives before I scratched my live schedule with 65 people. Not, not even tuning into me. I'm saying on the platform available. And of those 65, how many tuned in? Maybe 20. So third would tune in. It was not a good strategy. So it was like, no, cause I, you know, my podcast episodes get thousands of downloads. So it's like, why would I spend my time doing this in this way when, you know, maybe just do another podcast episode? Yeah. Speaking of the podcast, actually, what was the intention behind starting it? I love this question. So in 2018, when I started the podcast, I was mostly focusing on online art classes, but I knew I wanted to give voice to my story. I wanted to have a podcast. I had started writing articles for Professional Artist Magazine, and I loved the way being the press gave me access to basically anyone I wanted. Like all these influencers were happy to talk to me. So I knew that the podcast would be the next level of that. And I wanted to talk about mindset and marketing. So that was the vision for my podcast. Okay. Very cool. So then what are you, I guess, what are you talking about on the podcast now? So interviews solo, sorry. (laughs) Great, great question. I alternate between solo and interview right now. So I have a very intentional schedule right now where it's every other one tries to be an interview. Sometimes it's not exactly because as you know, people cancel like, whoops. I thought I was going to be interviewing this person for June, but I guess I'm recording it solo. (laughs) I've, I've been there. I've been there. What are some of the ways that you're monetizing your podcast? I use it for lead generation. So I don't have commercials for other things. I have done that in the past, um, even when I was very small. So you don't have to have a huge download numbers to get sponsorship if you have a very niche audience as I do. So I mean, right right now I have 25,000 downloads per month, but even when I had 10,000 or 5,000 downloads per month. I I forget what the numbers were when I, when I did this, but I approached a, a, a a company that creates art booths for artists. And I was very early on in my podcasting. I want to say I had less than a hundred episodes. So that's, that's how I know. I was like, I don't, I didn't have a huge download numbers back then, but because my audience was exactly the, their target market. I had them sponsor an episode and I think I charged them $250 and they were happy to pay it because one sale would completely cover that. Okay. Okay. Very cool. So it, yeah, go ahead. 
So interpret in terms of lead generation, what are you doing with the podcast? Yeah. So I will invite them to, um, for example, if you right now I will do it. If you want chapter one of my book, which is choose to believe I'm giving that for free. You can go to shulmanart.com forward slash believe and download chapter one. So I talk about that on the podcast. I talk about that when I'm a guest on other people's shows, but I will also switch up what my, my free, my freebies are. So I have over 260 episodes. So I have a variety of different free offers, but it's not so much that they hear on the podcast, something I'm offering for free and they download it and they go through the funnel. It's more than that, Baja. It's when they listen to me, they become indoctrinated. It's like, I'm like, my podcast is the Kool-Aid. So (laughs) the people who are most likely to sign up for my offerings are podcast listeners. Absolutely. Cause they, they, they've heard you. They know that you know what you're talking about. You've built your author, your authority, your credibility. They trust you. They know if they like you or not. And then they go and they sign up and they you've given them results in advance. So you've given them tips and tricks along the way, and they've gotten results from that. So they like that free taste and now they want the whole pie. Absolutely. I love it. I love what you're doing. What do you love most about podcasting? We'll leave it with that. Uh, I love talking to new people. And then in terms of my own podcast, it really forces me to clarify my own ideas. Love it. And then if you had to give one piece of advice to any creative entrepreneurs who are listening right now, what would it be? Mm, Okay. So I would love to end the same way that I ended my book, which is keep marching forward. So there are going to be times where you try something and you're not going to get the results you want. And you need to keep marching forward, taking one step in front of the other, not blaming your boots. In other words, it's not the economy. You have to keep taking inspired action and then you will make forward progress. Thank you. This was such an inspirational episode, Miriam. I'm so happy that you gave that analogy because now I, because I'm a photographer. So now I'm looking at everything completely differently. So Thank you for that. I'm sure it helps somebody else in the audience who's listening too. If anybody's looking to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to find you? If you like what you heard today, come find me on the Inspiration Place podcast. It's wherever you're listening to the show today. All right. Thank you so much for coming on once again. Group, if you're listening and enjoyed, please like and subscribe. If you're a six-figure entrepreneur and would like to come on the show, please visit top100interview.com. Thank you. Hey everyone, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free. One, check out my video on how we're building a pipeline that produces 30 plus prime sales calls every single week using podcast setters and a basic interview funnel. And this is actually how I was able to quit social media forever. You can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash setters. Two, if you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast, we actually want to interview you on one of our top 100 shows. Head to top100interview.com and then three, download our podcast closing formula. It shows you how to create a podcast sales team that books out your sales calendar each week using the podcast closing client attraction method. And you can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash podcast formula. Now at podcastclosing.com, we help six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts create a system for predictable client acquisition 
without relying on paid advertising or social media by building out podcast sales teams. Now, if you want help turning your podcast into a high ticket client acquisition machine, then book a call with our team to see how we can help. Go to podcastrebels.com forward slash chat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next interview.